welcome to this week's edition of Midi's Junction with me, Anne-Marie Basada. On January 8th of this year, the world once again was forced to pay attention to the calls for help from a Saudi woman. I was not treated respectfully by my family, and I wasn't allowed to be myself and be who I want to be. As you know, in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, this is the case for all women, except for those fortunate enough to have an understanding father and an understanding mother. This time, it was 18-year-old Rahaf al-Qunun. She fled Kuwait where her family was vacationing. With a ticket in hand for Australia, the plan was to land there and claim asylum. Except authorities stopped her during her layover in Thailand. Thai officials complied with the demands of the Saudi Kingdom and promised to deport her back to Saudi Arabia because her guardian, her father, had reported her as missing. Instead, she barricaded herself in a hotel room and refused to exit until the United Nations Refugee Agency took her claim for asylum. In the end, Al-Qunun won. And she, like hundreds of other Saudi girls, are risking everything to get out of a country that continues to enforce the male guardianship system. I'm one of the lucky ones. I know that there are unlucky women who disappeared after trying to escape and who couldn't do anything to change their reality. We have looked into the male guardianship system in Saudi Arabia here on Midis Junction. It's the only one of its kind in the world. In 2016, Human Rights Watch released a report entitled Boxed-in Women and Saudi Arabia's Male Guardianship System, which depicts the draconian impact of the system on women. An article released by the organization on January 30th reminded people that while other countries in the Middle East may have elements of the system, Saudi Arabia's is by far the most draconian in the extent of its laws and regulations, as well as the authorities' efforts to apply them. Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman al Saud is trying to be seen as a reformer in women's rights, beginning with the authorization to allow women to drive last year in July. But Michael Page, the Deputy Middle East Director at Human Rights Watch, says the plight of Rahaf and hundreds of others only shows how laughably at odds this is from reality when the authorities try to hunt down fleeing women and torture women's rights activists in prison. And today we will meet the plight of one girl who made the escape before social media proved to be a reckoning force. Why I, I decide that? Because I wasn't having my rights. Discovering that all what I read in Quran and Hadith, it was really against my rights treating me like an um, animal or like like some, like some dirt. It's written in Quran, like she's like animal. And you feel like you are belong to another society, respecting you as a woman, having your right. When you see TV and you read an internet, you see other life, living a real life, but you, you stuck in hijab and those, to make you like, do that, don't do that. Don't uh, follow, keep follow Islam, keep uh, follow the family rules. That's 33-year-old Julia. You feel you are in cage and you want to escape from that cage or 
you want to live your life out that box they put for you. You don't choose it by your own self. They put it by themselves. She's a Saudi woman who fled the country and claimed asylum. In her case, she did it here in Paris upon her arrival, a route many other women before her have taken. She agrees to meet us in a cafe in Paris. Unveiled in Western clothing with long flowing hair, she retells her story with humor and emotion. I wanted to escape in my city, actually. But my friend told me, you're crazy. If you escape, you will win nothing. They will discover you. And at that time, he was like really close to me, and he was like half Turkish. And he said, okay, I will maybe make you escape to, to Turkey. And I said, no, how am I going to escape without paper, without everything? She decided to find another way out. In the meantime, life with her new husband was becoming increasingly difficult. At that time, uh, he was really, he was older than me. He was, I was younger than him and beautiful and virgin and pure for him. And he was like really ugly, old, rich guy, crazy, uh, trying to rape me, uh, taking a lot of things from me not making me eat because I don't want to sleep with him. It was really awful experience and I blame always I was mad with my family. Even if I opened the phone and I tried to explain for them. You can make a break uh, when, you, when you want. Okay. We take a break. Julia collects herself. It's hard for her to tell the story, but she says she wants to do it to help others stuck inside, and to show others outside that the life many women live there is unbearable. After drying her tears and regaining her humor, she asks to continue. In an effort to win over his young bride, Julia says her former husband offered a trip to Europe, their honeymoon. So he said we will go to honeymoon, we will go to Europe, we will do a tour in Europe, like Paris, uh, Switzerland, Italy. We, you, you will, uh, you will be happy, and I can have sex with you. This is his planning. Like, you will, you will be feel so comfortable, so we can sleep together. And right away, she knew that this would be her opportunity. So I was full in my my luggage. I take everything, papers, clothes. I take everything, <laughs> everything I can take to leave and safe and secure when I arrive because I wasn't have any planning like what I should do when I arrive and and he asked me you want to escape why your luggage full of things you want to escape or what and I said no 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 no. I tried to be calm and cool with him so he don't make me in trouble or discover that I want to escape so in the airport I was listening to him and everything and then when we take the airplane the flight when the flight started to fly high, far away from Saudi Arabia, I was starting to feel my freedom. I would my uh, headphone, I was listening to Bon Jovi music, he was talking with me, I was ignoring him all the time because I was feeling so free. I never feel so free in my life. It's my During the flight, Julia continued to check Google, looking at how to escape in France. And Google gave me a lot of search. One of them, it was about uh, refugee or asylum seeker. And I was okay with that. I opened it and I discovered things about like when you arrive to Paris in the airport, you can go to police and ask them to help you. And you ask them right away, asylum seeker, and they will take you and do a small investigation with you or interview. 
Upon arrival, her husband told her to keep calm and to not create any problems. She agreed, and he took their passports and offered them to the customs officer. Right after, he asked her to wait while he collected their luggage. I said, "Okay, he go right away. I know this is my moment. If I don't do it, I'm not gonna have it." Right away, I turned back to the policeman, and he was like crying, and he couldn't understand me. Like, help me, save my life. He's monster. I need my passport. Asylum seeker, asylum seeker. And he was like, "Okay, okay, come down." Then he like in one minute he tried to understand me, and he was seeing me crying so hard. He believed that I have something. So he was pushing him, say for him, no, 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 stay away. Give me your passport. Give me her passport. He said no. Why? He said give me a passport. So he take the passport from him, and he asked him to leave the airport right right away. He said this girl don't belong for you. This girl for France, not for you anymore. Go, go out of the airport. I was feeling so happy and proud, like I couldn't believe someone gonna help me in that way. So I was like really surprised and grateful at the same time. When they asked him to move the airport, he was acting very crazy, and he said, "No, no, she's my wife. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take her. I'm not gonna leave the airport before I take. This is my wife." They was, "God, God, she's not for you. Go, go." He was acting crazy. At that moment, I take my hijab, abaya, and everything, and I threw it in the trash. And he was seeing me do that, and he was very angry. And I was like, "Okay." I was crying from my happiness. I was crying from. Even all those troubles, it was the the moment when I realized I'm alive. I'm I'm one day in in this life. I'm not 27 year old. I'm one day in this life. So it is my real birthday. <laughs> According to OFPRA, the French Office to Protect Refugees and Stateless Persons, very few Saudis claim asylum in France. But of those who do, half are women, which is a telling number, given women can't even leave the country without authorization from their male guardian. The agency says every day there are requests for asylum at the airports, and the officers on hand are trained in how to handle such situations. In the case of Julia, the officer clearly saw a distressed and desperate woman. When they take me, they start to do interview with me to understand why I ask asylum seeker and what is my situation and why I'm crying so hard. So they don't interview with me, and I told them that I have marriage force, married by force, and my family forced me, and they were violence with me, and he was violence as well with me. He's older than me, and they were shocked. And I told them as well, I don't believe in Islam, and that was making me a lot of troubles. I'm not Muslim. Um, I don't believe in anything, and I want to have my life. After passing the interviews, Julia waited for her papers. In total, she spent four months before receiving an official response. At that point, she was given refugee status in France. So I was crying as well, <laughs> like I couldn't believe, like I have paper to prove, like I'm not belonging for Saudi Arabia anymore, and I'm safe. Having that freedom here in France has given her the life she knew she wanted. In a loving relationship of her choice, she now has a son of whom she proudly says was born from two loving parents who were not married. She's learned French and has found work. But of course, while she has moved on, she can't erase the past. I really miss my mother, and I want her to know that I'm good, I'm I'm happy, and I'm free. And I contact her two times, 
and it was back to Saudi Arabia and I called her from cabin because <laughs> I don't want to call her in my phone number and she was like no back in Saudi Arabia don't leave Islam no, she don't say don't leave Islam she don't expect that I will leave Islam she said don't leave hijab wear your hijab pray pray do uh, pray for God uh, I hope you will back to your mind because you lost your mind, things like this. Like it was like really depressing for me, and not not the thing I want to hear. I want to hear that you are worried about me, you are happy I'm okay. That's what I was like. Why did I I call her to make her? I'm I'm good. I'm I'm doing good. Even the second time I called her and I told her that I start to have a job and I'm happy, and she was like. Uh, they said in, in Arabic, Allah Diki, which is God guide you. Like, look, look, looks for her. I do nothing. I'm not. I'm stupid for. Her. <laughs> Although I succeed to do al everything alone without anyone, without guarding mailship, without someone deciding for me my life. So I don't. I don't contact anymore. Since 2015, the kingdom has been under the leadership of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman al Saud, or MBS. He has tried to bring about changes to the country through small reforms. Cinemas are now open, live concerts by Western musicians are hosted, and as mentioned earlier, women were given the right to drive last year. But the male guardianship system persists under the thick veil of tradition and its interpretation of Islam. I see uh, propaganda, nothing it changed. I see really propaganda, nothing it changed. And I see that just to give women uh, the rights to drive car, to show the uh, whole world that women have rights. I'm sorry, we don't ask to drive car only. We have rights to, to choose our life, right to be a prime minister, right to live our life without hijab, right to choose. I'm not, I don't want to be a Muslim. It is a Muslim country, yeah, Mecca, Medina, wherever. But I have the right to choose whatever religion I feel that I belong for or non-religion. But as well, you, I want to have the right to choose what I want to study, with who I want. All those, there's there's people that say, no, you have the right and belong for the Islam. No, you have the right. No, actually, no. She forced to choose. There is some family, maybe, but at the end, she don't have all the rights. She can travel alone. She can choose everything alone. She can open bank account alone. For now, Julia says she is happy to stay in France and raise her son away from Saudi Arabia. She hopes one day things will change so she can go back and see the country for how she has always dreamed it to be free. Until then, she, like the hundreds of others across the world, is doing what she can to spread the word and to help others. We not escape only to escape and have our life and don't care about others. Actually, we care. We love our land. We don't have freedom. We don't have the rights we want in, in Saudi Arabia. But really, we love our life. Our case is to have rights and live like normal. Our case is to be respected. Our case is to be human, treated like a human. That's it for this edition of Mini's Junction. 
A special thank you to Julia for agreeing to sit down and speak to RFI and to Nicolas Falez for working with me on this report. Another thank you to Vincent Pourat and Nicolas Dereau for their technical help in post-production. You can listen to previous episodes by downloading our podcast by looking up RFI Mid-East Junction on your favorite platform or by going to our website at english.rfi.fr. Thank you for listening and join me next time for another look at the region.
هواك واتمنى لو انساك وانسى روحي وياك ونضعك في الاهداف لو تنساني انساك وتريد بنسى جفاك مشتاق لعذابي معاك والقدم يفكر ارجع تاني في لؤاك الدنيا ساعتها يقول في هواك في هواك كل حاجة